Hi, welcome to the Gun.io Frontier Podcast. My name's Ledge and I'm your host. And today my guest is Rahul Garg. He's the SVP of Engineering and Product Management at Pipestream, a customer engagement solution that helps enterprises establish direct-to-consumer relationships using two-way AI-backed persistent private messaging connections. And before that, he worked on strategic projects at IBM, specifically on the team that was originally tasked with commercializing Watson after the famous computer first won Jeopardy in 2011. Rahul earned his MBA from Harvard and his undergrad from UMass. Uh, Rahul, thanks for joining us today. No problem. It's great to be here. Awesome. Cool. So off mic, you and I were talking about your experience having moved, you know, sort of from, from engineering to, uh, to product and strategy and business and then kind of back a little bit halfway back to engineering. And one, one of the topics that I have found come up and the trends lately are really, uh, really encapsulated by that because it's, it's the convergence of engineering and product. Like you just simply can't ignore product anymore as an engineer. And likewise, as a product manager, you can't ignore engineering. Like these things are just one in the same now. And so I wondered if you had some initial thoughts about that before I, I dive into a couple of questions. Yeah, I think you're seeing it more and more. Um, I remember back in the day, right, product managers used to say, yeah, I like salami, but I don't care how it's made. Similarly, <laughs> right, um, I think that, that, that role has changed where as a product manager, you, know, you can't really plan anything without knowing how it's going to get there, right? Um, and you can't be as high level as you used to be, especially in software, because there, there's so many gotchas that you have to plan for. So. Yeah, having that background, making making sure you understand how that all works really helps drive you know, good product decision making. And I think that that's why you're seeing a lot more of that convergence. And it also, you know, back in the day as a product manager, you didn't have any resources. So you can make a plan as much as you want, but when those resources get yanked out from under you, you're left there with just a piece of paper that says roadmap. Right, but not delivered on, where now you're held accountable for delivering your roadmap because you own those resources. Right, right. So do you look at it as product controls engineering or engineering controls product, or is it just like one new massive function? I think, I think it's, it's a synergy, right? I don't want to say either one controls each other, right? Because right. I, don't, I don't see my teams that way. I see them more as product helps that vision and strategy, Engineering helps make sure it gets out the door, right? But they also help, you know, refine that. They help refine that vision and strategy to drive, you know, a better product. Right, right, absolutely. And, um, you know, you and I were talking about off, off mic originally, you know, how, how there's a difference in how you manage the different types of, of people, like maybe the personality types and the experience types that uh, you go along with engineering and product and what are, what are the key differences there and, and what do you recommend for people, you know, who are starting to, to get into that kind of disposition where, you know, they really want to lead those two functions. Yeah. So from a product perspective, right. It's always been more strategical, right. This is what we're going to do. Go do it. Go get the data. Everything is number driven, right. You want to see how people are using things and drive that to your value add. 
with engineering, it's a little bit different, right? Because you're working with resources that are very intelligent, right? But they're also, they're motivated differently, right? They're motivated by having need or building something amazing, right? They're not motivated by feature A, feature B being delivered to the market. They're motivated by the product I'm building has to drive value to someone, right? I, I want to believe in that mission. So a lot of engineering is motivation as to the mission of the product, right? Versus a lot of product management is really strategy around the product. Right. And so those resources are different too, right? So I spend a lot of time you know, explaining some of the decisions you make to the engineering team as well as, you know, taking feedback and having, having a better understanding of you know, what, what they think would make for things in terms of the product being better, right? And we have some engineers that I have to tell them, put on a customer hat, right? Think about it from their perspective. Do you, as a customer, really plan to do steps one through nine just to get something integrated, right? You as a customer would plan, you want it to be very simple, right? And it's, it's stepping them back from, oh, you just do this, 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 to thinking about it from a product perspective or a person uh, or a uh, end user perspective. Sure, sure. And I, I imagine there's probably maybe a new level of like business empathy that has to come to, to engineering. You know, when I was a coder, we were all in the basement and we liked it that way and it was dark and, you know, you could kind of just stare at a screen and, and write a bunch of code. But I mean, you never touch the customer and you definitely never touch the business user. Uh, you forget about budgets, you know, any of those things. You just had a deadline and a bunch of code to write. And I just don't think that's even close to reality anymore. Yeah. So there, there are a lot of times where I'm, I'm sitting with a client, right, a client success team and a client team that bought the product on the other end, right? And they're struggling together with, we can't make it work. And there's a point where you just have to say, we need an engineer to engineer call, right? Because it's something simple that two engineers could solve, right? But two business people can't figure out, right, what, what's missing in, you know, a, a OAuth integration that two engineers can solve very quickly. And so now, you know, I have engineers talking to, to you know, other clients and it's, it's a completely different world. And some of them, right, it, it's, it's so different that they're, they're now moving from the dark basement to come up and they can't say everything that they're thinking. Like, oh, this doesn't work because you misconfigured it on your end. Right. They have to become more, they have to be more, hey, you know, I think there's an error in your configuration. Right, right. It's a whole <laughs> new way of interacting with customers, right? Like my engineers will tell me I'm stupid and I'm okay with it, right? I, I'll take it with a grain of salt and continue on, but they can't say that to somebody who pays them <laughs> in terms right. of keeping our company alive. Right, if the so it, users it, would just stop using teaching, the software. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's teaching them the, the balance there, right? And so we spend a lot of time, or at least I do, when I do those calls with the engineering team to say, all right guys, first we need to listen, right? Because what people get into or engineers get into is solutioning right away without listening to the actual problem, right? Once they listen to it, they come up with probably a, a solution that's two to three times better. Um, so what I try to get them to do is say, don't say anything, let the customer speak for the first 10 to 15 minutes as to what the problem is that they need help on. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that's just a teaching moment with engineering teams, right? And I, I think you'll see that more and more with engineers that they have to learn that business skill of communication, right? 
Yeah, I agree completely. And, and I also think to be fair to our engineering colleagues that there's a fair amount of education that happens to the business user and especially to the business planner and budgeter that, uh, you know, yeah. engineering is, uh, is really a creative discipline, right? And, and that you sometimes can't predict all the things that are going to happen. And we've intentionally gotten really smart problem solving individuals not because we're problem free, but because we're problem rich. And, and therefore we don't have, you know, sort of full predictive capacity into the things we're going to hit. We just know we have the uh, sort of the, the rich backing of, of skills and, and education and smarts to get those things done. Yeah. And I fully agree with that, right? Like I've seen engineers who are really good at problem solving but they struggle with communicating, right? So that's what I'm saying. The skill that I'm working on teaching engineers is communication, right? So mm -hmm. that they can, pro they, so that that skill of problem solving flourishes, right? And that, that's really what, what's going to drive at least our business as a product team merges together, right? What, what I try to explain to all my, all my engineers, all, across all of our teams is we're one person, right? Your customer on the other end they see you as one, whether you're a customer success person, a product person, or an engineer, right? If the product doesn't work, they see it as pipe stream not working. They don't see it as, oh, you know, the, the bot that we built doesn't work because the implementations person didn't build it right. They see it as one problem, and we have to all gang together and solve it. So that's why, you know, we have to break down those silos and communicate together well, right? We can't just be an engineering team that talks to each other. Right, right, absolutely. And how do you, having been on the business engineering side so much, how do you explain to uh, maybe non-technical, you know, business budgeting and planning, you know, on on the variability and the risk management, and you know, well, why can't you tell me how long it's going to take and how much it's going to cost? If I could, I'd be a very rich person. <laughs> I could tell you how long it's going to take and what it'll cost accurately. Um, the way I explain it to them is, right, software is, is not easy to make because if it was, everyone would do it, right? It's not simple to do. There's a lot of variables because there could be something like a semicolon that cuts you off by three days, right? And there's so many unexpected um, when you think about it from a logical perspective, right, or if you play a game like Risk, right, there's so many unexpected routes that can come about, right? And that's similar to what software is. There's so many unexpected routes that happen as you're designing something, right? You'll always find a bug. If, you, if, if you're someone that tells me software doesn't have a bug or the software you use doesn't have a bug or the software you write doesn't have a bug, I'm pretty sure you're lying. Um, Everything has bugs, right? Because there's so many different routes to get from point A to point B. And it's just uncontrollable. And that, that's how I try to explain it to them. I try to explain to them like the game of risk, right? <laughs> you won't even expect what's coming at, at your blind side sometimes, right? Whether it's, you know, an engineer had to leave for the day or got sick, right? To an engineer was working on something and the complexity raised 3x because they realized there was a security hole in it. Right. And you, of course, so, you don't want us to launch the security yeah. hole because that's high risk. Yeah. However, you know, yeah. risk always manifests as cost somewhere. Yeah. So, you know, what, what as a manager you do is spend your time to understand the risks, 
um, if you launch something, you know, how long will it take for somebody to find that risk and can you patch it before that? Right. Um, so that's why I say everything we do takes a little bit longer than, you know, the ideal state. Right. Which always makes you say, well, why don't you just double or triple it? But you can't do that either. <laughs> Cause then, and then you're, you're, you're not going to be able to meet the market demands. Right. So the other thing we do is, as we're launching products, see, can we break it into very small pieces and launch small pieces very quickly to show that we're making progress right away versus one big bang, right? Because a big bang is great, but it doesn't show a lot of progress if you do four of those a year versus 12. Right, right. How do you, um, what's the actual teamwork involved in, in breaking down a, a large solution into you know, many more predictable solutions. I think it starts with first understanding the problem that they're trying to solve, pieces it's going to touch, doing architectural reviews, um, and then continuing that down that route to break it down. It's just, it's not easy, right? Because you could do an architectural review and miss something or somebody expects something else. So what we've started trying to do is make sure everything's written. Right. So we all kind of leave a meeting with the same notes. And then at the end of the notes, you know, we put them in confluence, publish you know, meeting notes and say, hey, everyone sign off on these notes by the end of the day or you know, by the end of the week so that we know everyone's read through it again. And what we find is you'll see people asking more questions sometimes. Right. So and when that, a, that a really helps. Yeah. Yeah. OK. So because they're like, oh, the I, I missed that. Yeah. Yeah, because you miss a lot right. over over the telephone, right? And, you know, with a distributed team, sometimes there's something that may happen on the side here or there with two people in a different room. But it's really trying to get that all into the same place. Sure. And so that's why we find that the notes are best. And there's there's a note taker, right, that's missed some notes as well, right? So that's why if other people go in, they update update it and everyone's reviewed it, we're good to go, right? So when we do launches, which is where you don't want to miss anything, we do checklists. At the beginning of the launch, we do a review uh, a couple of days before launch, make sure everyone's okay. Then we go through our approval process, um, and then we push forward. And then we try to do a dry run on you know, a platform that's not touched by customers to make sure we hit hit all the gotchas, improve the checklist. And during a launch, we have a co coordinator that helps walk teams through it, right? Whether coordinator is a product person or an engineer person, doesn't matter, right? They're really just there to coordinate the launch together. Right, right. So last question, what's the, what's the right balance of, of managers to doers, you know, in your experience? Um, I, see, see I, I don't think there's a number, right? Managers to doers. It's really having a lot of doers that, that have strong leadership, mm -hmm. right? You don't, you don't need a lot of doers that can just do things. You don't want a lot of doers that can do things that can't self-manage themselves, right? You want a lot of doers that can self-manage and a couple of great leaders to help, help bring that out. Right. So, you know, Managing a team of 100 
or 1600. It all depends on making sure you have the right people helping leading that team underneath the right. So I, I can only trust my direct reports to do the best job, right? And that they, I have to trust them that they can do the best job with their direct reports. But like, there's no magic number, right? You could have 500 people on your team that are all just doing you know, quality assurance testing, or you could have five engineers that are just doing platform develop platform development. Right. Right. Awesome. Hey, man. Well, thanks, Rahul, for the insights. Really appreciate. Yeah. No problem. Any final words about PipeStream or uh, anything about yourself that you'd like to leave the audience? Um. Watch out for these uh, product officer roles coming about. And, uh, you know, as, as I tell my engineering team, I know you guys think I'm just a product manager, but I, I did do this before you. So I do have an idea of how to do it. Respect across the aisle from uh, product engineering and back. Well, yeah. we appreciate your insights. This is awesome. Thanks so much for uh, joining us. And uh, we'll do it again sometime. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Talk to you guys soon. Bye. Fantastic. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Frontier Podcast, produced by Gun.io. We're the only freelancing platform where engineers actually go to hire other engineers. If you want to learn more about how to hire or freelance with us, head over to Gun.io and get in touch. Let us know you heard the podcast, and we'll pay for your first 10 hours with a kick-ass engineer.